we should be live. So this is Dean Tedder with the Two Party Podcast. I'm here with Barbara, and I will probably mess the name up, but I'm going to try it. Braindlin? You know, it's not bad. It's honestly, there are so many superfluous letters in my last name. I feel like if you could pronounce it right the first time, it would probably mean that you couldn't read. <laughs> it's pronounced Brandline. Brandline. Okay. Yeah. So now I got, I mess everyone's name up lately. It's just like, it's becoming the trend of the podcast, you know? This um, is a really hard one. You shouldn't get this one right. So. right. Well, yeah, it is a challenging one. I will give it that. Um, so, so again, we have, we have Barbara with us today and we're, we're, we want to touch on a few things, but first I want you to just go ahead and tell our audience a little bit about yourself, um, your background, where you grew up, stuff like that, just to, so they can, they can kind of get a feel for who you are. Well, I'm a Washington State farm kid first. I grew up on an apple orchard on the eastern side of the state. Most people think of Washington, they think of uh, evergreens and uh, rains all the time. But the part of the state that I grew up in, it never stops shining, just constant sun. Um, so I went on and I married a farmer. We now raise vegetables on the west side of the state. Um, I have four special needs kids and I homeschool them. Um, I did I have a book published this last year, and uh, it is basically a fictionalized version of my adventures raising um, kids with mitochondrial disease. And uh, that that's a lot of my life right there, is uh, we have an adventurous life, I would say, in the quietest of ways. <laughs> that's very that's very cool. And, and it's interesting, because uh, we were just talking before we started recording, and it's, it's very interesting, because we, my wife and I just chose this year to homeschool. And as we were discussing, um, it's had its challenges for sure. My wife's very, we are polar opposites. Now she comes from a very, you know, a Christian background, uh, really has done nothing wrong in her whole entire life. I call her Mother Teresa sometimes. <laughs> Myself, the actual opposite side of the street. So I'm, I am literally, if, there, if there's something you could name that has been done that shouldn't be, I'm the guy that was like, watch this, hold, hold my beer, you know, and I'm, <laughs> and I'm doing it or I've done it. And so when we first started this journey and, and we kind of touched a little bit on this is it, it was at first, it was me, like the concerns, the, the, my kid's not going to get socialization or, you know, will he get enough exercise? What, what part of it is he losing out on? And my wife, on the other hand, she's like, now she suffers from glaucoma. So she's had to literally this year, she's, she's been uh, diagnosed legally blind. So we're, we're really working on getting her healthcare better. Uh, so she's actually not able to work. And so she was like, I'll stay home and we'll try this homeschool thing this year. We'll try it out now because my son's been misbehaving and stuff, but we just thought this would be the time to try it. And so on her end, she's very structured. She's very, everything's organized in our house. Everything has a place. She's very good at that. I am not. I come in, she yells at me. Every, I'm worse than my son uh, who's, who's in sixth grade, 12 years old. I come in the house and I'm just throwing stuff everywhere. Everything's a landing spot. I don't know if it's a guy thing or if it's just what, you know, so it drives her crazy, but she's got, since we started, um, it's just been so far, it's been good. You know, she, there's days where, you know, I think the learning curve or, or maybe the transition into homeschool is a change for him. So there's days where he bucks the system and he's just like not having it. But for the most part, he's doing really well. And his teacher thinks he's doing really well. He's always caught up. And, and I think that's the, the, what I was, you know, obviously that's what you're always hoping for. But in my mind, I think over the years, I always thought like, like this would be a nightmare to have to do this. And you say you're doing it and you say with four kids. I do have four kids. And um, in our case, you know, we ended up, I have a lot of compassion for the people that got thrown into this um, th through COVID because right. when, you know, my kids have 
some complicated medical issues. And that was a big part of why we started homeschooling at the beginning is they just couldn't make it through a school day without getting incredibly sick or, you know, they, a couple of my kids are tube fed. Um, the transition is hard. I just feel like encouragement to your wife. Every, everybody's going to have bad days. Yeah. Everybody's going to have those days where you're like, you know what we should really do? Bake cookies and stop. And that's the beauty of homeschooling is that Yep. You can. You yeah. can decide if this and, is the hill that we need to die on today. And she's finally kind of kind of coming to terms with that after these past, you know, past few weeks of it starting. She's finally like, well, you know what? I, I, I don't have to stick to that schedule of sending him in anymore. Like he doesn't have to go in at 10 o'clock and work for an hour or so on, on work. I can just say, let's go do something else. Yeah. It's the total freedom, I think. Yeah. And, and, and that's probably um, if I had... I don't know if I have uh, the, the years to, to qualify as wisdom yet. So, but if I had a word that I would that I would give to someone, it's that we kind of have to shift our mindsets a bit from thinking about I'm doing school, right? So that means, cause like in my mind, that means we're going to be sitting at the table for this amount of time. I should probably get one of those old school desks that has the chair connected, like school. <laughs> um, and I think that that is daunting. Yeah. But if you start to think of your home instead of, you know, don't compete with a school. You don't have a piano lab. You don't have a science lab. All these things that we think of as, right, a school. What you have uh, is an educational environment. And the fact is, your home is that, whether you're meaning to or not. Mm -hmm. Um, Kids are constantly learning just being in your home. So it's really a decision to do that on purpose. (laughs) Like to go ahead and be deciding that if, um, you know, some of the most fascinating homeschoolers I have met are people that they they go ahead and they take it to the logical extreme and they say, you know what, um, I have a family of you know make up a hypothetical of of ADHD boys. Yeah, we should not be sitting for eight hours at a table every day. It could be that we should be doing our multiplication tables while we're hiking. Yeah, and you can. Like, there's just no. Why not? The point is that they're learning. And I think that when we can shift from thinking, you know, school to thinking education, then it just opens up a world of opportunity. For sure. And I, and I think a good, a good, you know, sometimes it's hard to get this point across. um, And it was for me is is the thinking of traditional brick and mortar school and what you learn there in the curriculum and what as a homeschool, you, the freedoms you have to teach, like you said, to go on on a hike, to go in the, you know, do, do things that are outside the traditional norm of a brick and mortar. Um, and, and which, which at the end of the day, you know, great system, the curriculums are always kind of, I've always conflicted with the curriculums of, of a brick and mortar. Um, but at the end of the, do- the day, to be able to challenge that curriculum and be able to present things that in a brick and mortar school, public school, they're not going to be able to present to a child. So you're actually able to engage the child and, and the child's mind by giving them things and interactions that they're never going to get in a public school. Right. And I think it also has the the freedom. You, know, you were talking about your son. Um, he sounds like a really intelligent kid. So you have the freedom now to go ahead and give him beyond what his grade level is doing in the areas that he can. You know, I, I look, um, one of the challenges that we have faced early on is because of some of the special needs that my kids have, um, writing has been a challenge for a while. I had kids that couldn't speak. And yeah. I just remember like pulling my hair, like, how do I even know if they're learning to read if they right. can't tell me? Um, so we found different ways to do it. We found mm-hmm. different, we have found different ways. This has probably been one of our best school years this year, mm-hmm. just because it's like, we finally have gotten into a pattern. We kind of know the, um, the curriculum that we like. Yeah. We have figured out different strengths. And I just, I think I try to picture my kids going into a classroom where there's 
one style of learning and mm-hmm. you're going to wait on everyone else in the classroom. And I think, how does anybody thrive? Right. Well, yeah. And, and, and I, you know, I know I was always a, I was always a gifted student uh, going through school up until high school. And I really started getting well, middle school, I started getting in a lot of trouble, but, but for the most part, I always was, it was in some sort of a gifted program because I, I did learn things really quickly. My son, I noticed does the same thing. Now, funny, you mentioned ADHD. He is diagnosed with that. Um, and so we found that out probably about a year and a half ago, his doctor was like, well, you know, his behaviors kind of show signs of ADHD. Maybe that's why he's acting out in school. And so we did go down the, the, let's try to medicate him and see if that helped. And and it, while it curbs his behavior, we feel like it just made him a zombie. And and it was like, it was like, yeah, that's cool. And all that, that, yeah, there's a noticeable difference, but do I want my kid tranquilized? (laughs) <laughs> for, for lack right. of a better term, or do I want him to be a free thinker and just, I have to act, you know, I have to accommodate changing how I react to his weird behaviors that he may or may not have. And so we, it was a challenge there for us. Yeah. So my husband, I am married to an ADD man. Uh, okay. And, and I found out I am too later on, like when I was like 16, 17. So I didn't even know I was. Right. So here's what I didn't know until I met him. It is a superpower. Mm-hmm. It is a superpower that has to be learned right like how to use it and um, yeah he his his mom was a school teacher and again like this is how we do school right Mm -hmm. I look back and what I know of him now and it just is just parenthetically what he described with going on medication uh it takes a while to get the right dose right for him he is still on a combination of medication but he also has learned like this is how my mind works he is a brilliant problem solver. Yeah. I'm just telling you, if it was left up to me, we never would have found America because I wouldn't have bothered looking. <laughs> he is the one that is going to find the solution to problems that I didn't realize were a problem. And I, when I look at, um, when I look at my kids and I look at the different struggles or challenges, there's always a strength to it. There is, there is always some greatness that lies within the, you know, the inability, the whatever you want to call it, the difficulty. Mm-hmm. And, I, uh, yeah, don't give up. I, he ended yeah. up being an amazing student in college. And what amazes me about him is that, you know, I got better grades. He was probably more like you. He was not malicious as a kid. He just right. did stuff to see what happens. Like yep. we were not, yeah, <laughs> it makes me laugh to this day. Um, but he, uh, he remembers everything yeah. that he learned in school right. and I got great grades and I don't. <laughs> so I'm just like, I'm just saying, I think that there is a, if I had to choose between the two of us as students, I would want my kids to be like that. Yeah. And they used to do, it's funny. Cause I remember I was in the newspapers in, and this was down in Florida when I was very young, uh, probably kindergarten, maybe first grade ish. And they did a lot of extensive testing on me and another student, a couple other students in the school, but me and two of them particularly were in the paper for having, uh, being diagnosed with photographic memory. And, mm-hmm. and so we would, did all this testing where we were in the paper and we had to do all these different challenges with, with different things and, and, and then remember a bunch of stuff. And, and like, I, I, I just nailed it all. And, and so throughout my life, up until the teens in high school, where I really started doing things I shouldn't to, to really warp my mind, I guess, mm-hmm. um, I, I kind of lo- started to lose that a little bit, but I still have it. And, and, and I have it in an aspect where when I've been somewhere, or I've seen something one time, I can describe it to you in depth, in detail. 
Um, whereas as far as memory wise, like remembering everything like I used to, I don't, but, but visually I can remember just like a photograph. I could describe it and point it out in my mind to you exactly how I'm seeing it from the time I saw it. Um, yeah. and so I did, you know, that, that presented challenges for me. And of course I didn't find out till I was older with ADD or ADHD. My son, when we, he was diagnosed, you know, we, we really did like, we didn't want to medicate. You know, but my wife at the same time, she's going, I am going to pull every strand of hair out of my head if he can't behave in school. And then when he comes home, gives me attitude. She's like, right. I can't deal with it. And, and some of his attitudes or some of his behaviors were um, not so much the, the attention deficit as much as kind of almost a crossover of, of an OCD. Uh, okay. To where there's certain repetitious things that he had to do. And, and if you broke the cycle, if you, for any reason, disrupted what he was doing, it was a meltdown and, and a shutdown emotionally. And we, we fought with that for a while. And I mean, here, you know, I look, I look at the challenges we've gone through and here he's in sixth grade, 12, he's 12 years old. He, he, he now does jujitsu and he's, he's been in two competitions and took gold and silver. Um, mm -hmm. After six months of training, you know, like the kid just went in there and I, I was the horrible dad that I put him in the wrong bracket with teenagers. And so I literally... <laughs> 11 years old and he went up against 14 and 15 year old kids that had been doing this for their lives and he won and he pissed a lot of them off but he did it and partially I believe it was part of the, the way he's wired he learned jujitsu technically through his the way he thinks and and through that AD, basically the ADHD like you said with your husband it kind of almost helped him overcome the challenge is that most people learning a new a new thing with like martial arts, they, they, they would have had a hard time practice to make perfect, whereas he kind of visualized it and did it and, and was able to accomplish these techniques and win. And mm -hmm. I, the bad dad, of course, put him in the wrong weight class and everything and some full submission for his first competition. And he walks away with a gold and wow. in the competition. He comes out with a silver and a gold. And um, it, it was very triumphant, but it was very empowering to see that he he was able to do these things in transition from where we were at one stage of full meltdown and unable to really function in, in, in certain aspects where the medication noticeably helps him, but it really took time for us to set up. Um, and, and again, thanking my wife for her uh, intuitive into this is, is the stability and working with having patients as far as like the, the OCD side of how he is making sure he has a schedule and a stable environment in every aspect of our home and every aspect of his schedule throughout the day, even when he was in public school. Um, and that's helped a lot. Um, emotionally, I've watched him change. I mean, he's at, he's at that point, obviously, where he's changing a lot at his age, but, but emotionally, he's, he's changed so much. And with the homeschooling, you know, I find it to be a blessing. And, and now that my wife's kind of figured it out, um, I really see uh, a lot, uh, even this short amount of time, I see a lot more growth in him. Mm -hmm. And and he's a kid that reads a lot. He's a kid that when I say reads a lot, he'll read three or four books a day if you let him. Okay. And he's the type of kid where we he doesn't you know a lot of the kids that, uh, these days it's video games and phones right in their face. We don't do that in our household. Um, yeah, do we? <laughs> yeah, we have three or four game systems. Uh, if we're lucky to give an opportunity for that, it's just very rare. Um, but he doesn't ask. He he's not a kid that asks for the video games. He's not a kid when, when he wants to go, he'll say, we'll, we'll send him outside for outside time, but he'll come in and he, when he comes in and we say, Hey, why don't you go play in your room? Or why don't you go get an activity to do? Can I read? It's always, <laughs> can I read? And we're like, Hey, yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. 
because we know at some point that's probably not going to be the case. But we're like, yeah, for now, do it. And and we go to Barnes and Noble. We'll take that kid through there. He'll go in the children's section and he'll wait for us to go do some shopping through there. But he'll read books while he's in there and finish them, like just read mm -hmm. through them and, and finish books and tell you all about it. Um, he loves to read, loves to read. Sounds like the ideal homeschooler, honestly. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's what I told my wife. I said, I think he'd probably, he's probably going to latch on to this. I know he's yeah. going to miss and does miss his friends. I know he misses that recess playtime because that's really, he, he's a very, he's like me. He's kind of a class clown. So he's got that comical side and that playful side. So I know he's like, well, now I'm at the house with mom and dad. And it's not really that cool that I could, you know, throw something at my friend and get a laugh and, but we try to, you know, still have that entertainment. I'll, I'll walk through the room when he's doing it and throw something at him, you know, like I, we, do, <laughs> we do stupid things that would probably happen in school anyhow. Right. Yeah, exactly. Only now it's approved. I feel like you hit upon a thing that is so important just in general. I mean, you talk about being empowered, but don't you feel like, like part of it is a sense of something being in control? And I, and I don't mean in an, in an unhealthy way, like he's trying to control right. his whole environment, but, but in a way it's like, I feel like the public school system as it is can work so hard to put kids into this box. Like this is yeah. how you learn and it's for this amount of time. And it's, and very often it's catered towards girls. Can we just mm -hmm. like, can I be that blunt? Like it's yeah. catered towards girls. Yeah. And so I, I think there's gotta be something, um, especially as you guys are figuring it out, your wife sounds amazing. Um, just to, to be getting to that point where it's like, okay, I have some say. I want to learn about fill in the blank. I'll go read about it. I have the freedom to do that. And it sounds like as parents, you're paying attention to those things that he is strong in. And I just think that some of the, some of the behavioral things, I guess I, maybe I'm just talking about myself. I see it in myself. Right. I reach a point where it's like, I would like to feel like I had a say about something, mm -hmm. right? Like I can, I can put up with a whole lot of <laughs> a whole lot of being told what to do when I get a say in something. And yep. I don't know. It sounds like you guys are just doing a great job with him. We're trying. We're trying. And another funny one that comes to mind uh, when you speak about, you know, the, the being in control and stuff is, is he he's, has been acting out a lot lately. Just really, like, really getting, I think, more bold. Partially, I think, with the jujitsu, he's learning to kind of get that self-confidence, that real, uh, you know, I'm a tough kid, look at me go. And so he does get a little bold with my wife sometimes and, and, and she challenges him right back. I mean, it's, it's a full, you're not going to talk to me that way. That's disrespectful, mm -hmm. but, but he does get that way sometimes. And so this past week he got himself grounded for doing that. And so, you know, I was like, I was like, we're going to, where you're grounded, I'm going to send you out to do some extra chores. And, and that's what we're going to, we're going to rake some leaves because we're hitting fall. We're starting to get the leaves falling mm -hmm. here. So I was like, we're going to go rake the yard. Now we live on a half acre lot that's covered in trees. And so he'll get, give me done, for a while. <laughs> oh, he'll get, he'll get done with the leaves and, and he gets all done. He piles them and he comes running inside proud of himself. And he's like, I got it done. I got it done. And we're like, did you do the front yard? And he's like, Oh, and then he'll do the front yard and he'll come running in. And he's like, I got it done. I got it done. And we're like, right where you started, the wind was just blowing really bad. And he'll go right out there. And there, of course there's leaves again. And he's just like, Oh, so yesterday, you know, I, I again, I was like, you, you got to be creative with kids, of course. I mean, as a parent, you really have to be creative. The same thing isn't going to work for till they're 18 and out of your house at all if they leave. And so it's like, I told my wife, I was like, watch this. So he gets done and he's in the front yard and he comes back. I'm all done with the front yard. And we got him, we made, we tried to make the rake in the leaves and bagging it fun. So we went and got pumpkin bags so he could actually make pumpkins with them, you know, and he thought that was cool while he's grounded. 
And so I was like, he comes running over, I'm all done with the front. And I'm like, well, here's the mower. Go ahead and mow the back. Or I said, you can go rake leaves again. It's your choice. And he's like, he sat there for a minute. Like it was a trick question. Like which one's better? And it, it is, he's really trying to trick me into more work. And then <laughs> like, I'm tired of, I'm tired of the rake. I'll mow. He goes, I'll mow. That's it. And he grabs the push mower and he just starts going to mowing. And it, it's just, it's really cool to see that and, and to have an opportunity. Whereas, like you said, um, you know, with, with public school, you're in a box. And so in public school, had he present, been presented with an attitude or a behavioral adjustment, um, and we have dealt with that in the past year, but, but had he been dealing with that in school, he wouldn't have got the same personalized individual attention with the behavior, let alone the consequence and discipline. Yeah. And I think that was, that's part of what's kind of built up over the course of his, his public school time, I think is kind of built up with his behaviors is because he's not getting any discipline. He's not getting any consequences. Uh, last year, he, again, he, bro he broke a water fountain. He kicked in a stall door. Uh, he, was uh, he was stealing the teacher's supplies and then like, missed, like using glue in his desk and hiding it. And then having the other friends come by and kind of play with the stuff he was making in the desk with glue and kind of mm -hmm. making goo or whatever he was trying to do as a void, you know, boy. And, but it was, you know, as much as it was funny, the, the, the teacher never called us. The teacher never let us know. The, the teacher never called the counselor. The teacher did nothing. And we were like, when we finally found out was when he was finally kicking, when they, the last, uh, he was kicking the stalls in with another kid and they got caught by a different teacher. And that teacher took action to bring him to the office and call us. And okay. that's how we finally found out. And then of course the teacher tells us, oh yeah, all this has gone on this whole year. And we're like, it's January. This has been huh. on since day one. And she's like, well, second week of school or so. And, I, and he's been battling this every day and you didn't want to call his parents and say, can we end this please? Um, so, so again, you know, like that was so cool yesterday that I was able to give him a choice in his own discipline, mm -hmm. but at the same time, like they don't get that in public school. And yeah. that's one of the other great things about being able to homeschool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you, you get to decide and you get to deal with things as they happen. As they happen. Which, yeah. Yep. And I, and I thought that was really cool. And another one was, um, the other day we asked, we, you know, then he's like, well, how long am I grounded? And we said, well, again, that's your choice. And, he, and we were able to give him an opportunity to choose, do I want to keep misbehaving and disrespecting my mom? Or do I want to not do that? And I can actually get ungrounded if I stop. Yeah. And most kids are like, yeah, I'll stop right now. And, and we, he's done that with us before and turned around and did the same thing. And we're like, well, this time it's not that easy. So this time you get to decide, but you have to show us for a few days that you can do it. Right. And it was kind of a thinking moment for him. Like, wow, I'm in control of this situation. So I can be grounded or I cannot be grounded, but I have to behave a certain way that they're expecting. I got to take some control of my own actions. I was yeah. watching, uh, my sister has uh, these just great kids, uh, but they're very willful kids. And the, the, um, the three-year-old was thrown, if, I don't remember what the fit was about, but he had a very easy option. Like, okay, mm -hmm. it is now bedtime. You have been throwing this fit for an hour, right? Um, so you can either, you know, have two spanks, or just say, I'm sorry, and may I be excused from the table. I think that's what it was. May I be excused from the table? Cracks me up. Because what kid chooses Spanx, right? But you kind of like, he scrunches up. <laughs> I not say please. I take Spanx. <laughs> okay, well, that's, you know, yep. your prerogative. That's fine. Sum that one up. Get it over with quickly. Exactly. But it's the, uh, you know, it's that ability to, to deal with it as it happens. And uh, yeah, what an education in, in human nature, right? Homeschooling yeah. gives you a... Hardest thing I've ever done, bar none. 
for sure. And, and, and the other thing I think that I'm starting to appreciate more is because we are in such a fast paced society and, you know, especially if you're in a household where both parents are working and stuff. Um, what I, what I think I'm finding more and more and I'm discovering more and more is the fact that we are spending more time together, whether we like it or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're having to interact more where, where a lot of families don't. I mean, the, these devices stay, stay smashed to people's faces day in and day out. Kids as well. You see kids in the waiting room at doctor's offices with iPads. And I'm like, there's no human interaction or communication mm-hmm. going on, which means you're breaking the ties in, in the future relationships that you should be now building as foundations. And so what I really enjoy about it is that we are finally, and I wish, I actually wish we would have started this sooner, uh, but we, we're, we're actually able to fill the void and, and build these relationships now and have this open dialogue and communication throughout the day at any given moment um, and encourage him to understand that, that the real world doesn't work on devices and texts. The real world works in, in face-to-face communication. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I know our, our world is getting very techy and electronic, but there, I don't think there'll ever be a point where you're not going to have to face somebody at some point, whether it be employment or whatever. And so I, th- I think it's really encouraging to me to see that we're able to build as a family a stronger bond than what most we see these days have. Uh, families are very detached these days. Yeah, no, that's a fact. Um, it's, yeah, if she, I'm convinced you preach well. Yeah. I, I <laughs> mean, so really, right? I mean, it, it, it's interesting. It really is. Tell me a little bit more about, first off, how you, how you got to the point where you wanted to be an author. And second off, tell me, tell me about this, uh, the book, Olive, that you wrote. So people have been telling me that I should write a book for probably the last 20 years. And I used to think that it meant um, that I, that they saw something in me, like you must see that, that you have this latent talent that needs to be used or, um, you know, what a great storyteller. What I finally figured out is that it was code. It was code for, I find your life a little bit overwhelming. I would like to exit this conversation. You should write a book. <laughs> and so I tried. <laughs> I tried for years to go ahead and write our story um, as a nonfiction book, you know, write it biographically. And I would get to the end every single time and think, not even I believe this. This right. doesn't seem plausible to have four kids with the same incredibly rare genetic condition, right? Um, and so a couple of years ago, I finally figured out that the key for me personally was fiction. Fiction is like this fantastic camera that you hand to a toddler, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever done this. Art cameras are probably too nice these days to do this. But when I was growing up, like if you hand a camera to a toddler, you're going to get all these great shots of doorknobs and carpet yes. fibers and their yes. toes. Um, and it, it enables you to pay close attention to what you want to look at. And so the reason that I, that I have written this as fiction and that I went ahead and you know, reached the time in my life that it was time to write it is because I figured out that if I wrote our story, even parts of our story, as fiction, then it gave me the freedom to cut out what I didn't really want to try to explain. Mm-hmm. So Olive is the story of the world written from the viewpoint of a nonverbal, medically fragile five-year-old girl. Okay. You only know what she knows. You experience her home, her doctors, her world, purely through her eyes. And that means that we don't know what her dad does for a living because right. she doesn't know. We don't know the name of her medical condition because she doesn't know. She doesn't know she has one. This is just what normal life feels like. This is definitely vividly what I witnessed in my own kids. Um, But I feel like it gave the, there there were two big things that jumped out at me as I was doing it. One is that it gave me the freedom to cut out the things that are more complicated. How do you explain, um, you know, genetic diseases? Uh, But it also, 
I feel like by doing it this way, this has the opportunity to resonate with a, a wide variety of people because it doesn't, there are so many commonalities. That's what I'm looking for. There's so many commonalities in Olive's experience. If you have ever been bullied, then Olive is your kind of people. If, if you have ever experienced um, <laughs> harvest time and getting a pumpkin with your dad, then Olive is your kind of people. And if you've ever encountered what it feels like to have a best friend, to have one person that just completely understands you, then her story is relevant for you. And I think that if I had written it more biographically, if I had written it about mitochondrial disease, then it would have made sense to a very small sliver of people. As it is, I think that it, it's a story that's going to resonate with readers young and old. Across that's my experience so far. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Very cool. And, and you speak about uh, the mit mitochondrial disease. Um, that, that's not something that's just, I mean, that's not a rare situation. That, that we, that's all around the world we, we hear about that, correct? It's, it's definitely becoming um, more prominent. More more, yeah, understood, I would say. Um, so you're, you know, mito, if, if you talk to 50 different mitochondrial patients, um, you will get 50 very different experiences. The thing that they have in common is energy production. Your mitochondria is the part of your cell that takes food and turns it into energy. And so what they're finding through research um, is that there are a lot of medical conditions that we have known about for years, uh, diabetes and uh, heart failure, things that we can actually trace back and find that it is connected to mitochondrial disease. And that's why it's starting to look uh, more common. It's actually, it's still a pretty rare disease to have, especially in right. kids. Um, I think, uh, you know what, I won't even quote the statistics. I'm terrible right. at keeping track of them. But it, yeah, it was, especially when my kids were diagnosed, it was pretty rare. Um, but they are definitely doing research. And I suspect that over the course of decades, we'll find that there's all kinds of medical conditions that are, that can be traced back to a malfunctioning, a disordered mitochondria in some way. Right. You think about everything in the human experience that requires energy, right? Yeah, it, it's all affected. Yeah, your organ function, your speech, your development, your sleep, your ability to eat, all of that requires energy. And so anything that requires energy is at risk in a mitochondrial disease. Interesting. That's really interesting. What are, um, you know, we've been touching a lot on this show about helping others, um, and what that looks like. I mean, sometimes that looks like a self-help book or a self-help uh, coach, which we, which we have a lot on the show. Um, but, you know, the main thing that, that I've been trying to convey to my audience for probably the past two weeks on a lot of our social media lives, um, as well as for this month of mental, mental health awareness, is really um, sometimes helping other people helps yourself. And, and what, I see, what I see just from talking to you this little bit about you know, uh, we had a guest on uh, last week, two, two guests, as a matter of fact, came on. And just before we started recording, we were just talking a little bit. And one was an author of a book, uh, self-help book of all things. And the other one um, was kind of a life coach. Um, and, and we, we got on. And, and before we started, I, I mentioned, like I did to you, like we're, we're kind of talking about uh, self-help. We're kind of talking about helping others. And both of them had the same answer originally is, I honestly feel bad because I don't know how I help others. And I said, you wrote a book about self-improvement and, and, and of course like bells and whistles go off and, Oh, I guess I do. You know? And then the other guy was kind of I was like, you coach people. What do you mean? Like you're, you're, you have an audience of people you're helping, whether one person gets it or none of them get it. That's what you're doing to help. And with your situation, what I'm hearing and just this conversation with, with your, what you've told us about, you know, homeschooling four kids that have this mitochondrial disease is 
you're helping, you know, as a mother, the, you know, I mean, yeah, you're a mother of these four kids, but you're helping them. Yeah. Um, and, and, and in general with your book, you're, you're helping others. Um, like you said, through, through the viewpoint of, of Olive, you're able to assist and help other people. Um, what can you share with our audience? Um, maybe a little bit about not just helping others, but how helping others kind of helps you. I think that um, writing this book uh, has been probably more for me than for anyone else, although I like to think that, that yes, that people will be helped by reading it. Um, it's fiction, but it's amazing how fiction can inform what we do. You know, we bring our own stories to everything that we read, and uh, I'm fascinated to see what people take from it. Um, I guess I, I am struck, Mental Health Awareness Month, right? I mm -hmm. think back through uh, my early days of being a special needs mom and realizing that all of a sudden I don't get to just be a parent anymore. I, I get to be an advocate, right. a caretaker. You're, you're never allowed to just be a parent right. anymore. You're a parent, you're, you're a nurse, you're a everything. You're everything, yeah. right? And I think I, I look back and I had years where the grief was so heavy upon me, mm -hmm. uh, combined with pretty incredible sleep deprivation. Um, <laughs> I did not realize that the way that I was feeling could ever change. Now, in a lot of ways, my situation hasn't changed. We mm -hmm. still have two feeding tubes in our house. Yep. We still have to live a different life that is wrapped to, up around energy. And yeah. how do we get enough calories and how do we get enough, you know, we go to hospitals. Um, mm -hmm. But I feel differently about it now. I like my life. Right. I, I have figured it out over the course of many years now that your life doesn't have to be normal to be great. And I think that that is, uh, if I had an encouragement for your listeners today, it would be that the way that you feel right now is not how you're going to keep feeling. Now, it could be that from where you stand today, you could be sitting thinking, well, I feel okay. You know, it seems fine. Yeah. Um, it's going to change. You're going to go through times that are worse. And you could be there right now where it just seems so dark that you cannot see that there is a way out. And even if the situation remains, you will not stay feeling like you do right now. And I wish that I had understood that early on. Sometimes we just have to keep going yeah. until it starts to change. Um, for me, I did start keeping, it sounds so cheesy when I say it out loud, but I did start keeping a gratitude journal yes. um, because there is something, uh, we can make our minds look for what is excellent in our lives, mm -hmm. but it's a discipline. It's almost yep. like a muscle that you have to work for me, yeah. yep. the muscle I have to work. And when I did, I started realizing that actually my life is chock full of things that I love, mm -hmm. that I'm happy about. Um, sometimes it, when I look back at my very early gratitude journals, it really does look like uh, soap bubbles. Right. Boy, I like how soap bubbles look. <laughs> uh -huh. <laughs> it could be that you're not able to, to go you know, big picture yet. I think it's that same idea, like I was saying with fiction, Sometimes you have to go ahead and hand the camera to the toddler so that mm -hmm. you can see the really small and awesome things about your life. Yep. Um, I think that that's what Olive does in the book. I think that that is uh, probably key for a lot of people that have had their normal turned upside down right now is to uh, hand, hand the camera to the toddler. It's yeah. going to change. And I think we've all, I mean, obviously across the board around the globe, I can say everybody's life's been turned upside down. I mean, obviously, and everybody deals with, and copes with things differently, obviously. So, I mean, in the middle of this pandemic, while one family may be hunkering down in their house, another family is is out there trying to keep a business afloat. 
Um, so obviously, you know, there's big, there's extreme dynamics to, to what we're all dealing with in this world. And, but we have so, such divisiveness going on and just other crazy stuff going on in the world. But, um, you know, I had a lady, uh, what you were just touching on just brought a thought to my head. I had a lady uh, guest on my show last week. Uh, Lois was her name. Amazing lady. Um, and she, she talked a lot about uh, shame and guilt was her big topic. That's something she wrote a book about, something she really studies and, and just is real firm on, you know, you've got to get rid of the shame that you hold for whatever incident may have happened or in the way self-talk, the way you talk to yourself over years of doing that, you build shame and you build guilt. And some people just kind of hold it different than others. And one of the things she made a good point about is like you said, a gratitude journal. Uh, she, she encouraged the same thing. She said, you know, make a gratitude journal, make it, make one. If you have to a second one, make it more personal. And she said, when you, when I say make it personal, she's like, describe something you care about yourself each day. Um, and, and if you want to write several entries a day, she said, that's fine too, but focus on one thing a day. And she said, and you can never ever repeat the same thing again in the journal ever. And she said, try to do that. And she said, you'll be amazed at how you start off in a very shallow realm. And, and it's something as simple as like, well, I like the, the way my hair looks today, or I like this outfit that I bought yesterday. And she said, and then slowly you can't use any of those things again. And she said, so it gets to a point where you start digging really deep into yourself. And, and, and it's kind of like what I always use as an example in my life and what I've had to do to get overcome challenges of addiction and alcoholism and all the things I've went through is for me, it's looking in a mirror, I call it. And for her, it was, you really got to dig deeper because you have to find things that you like about yourself. But once you can't repeat them again, once you've verbalized them or wrote them down and you can't repeat them, it's a challenge to, to, to continue to deeply love yourself, to get deeper into loving things about who you are. And it also helps you on the journey of knowing more about who you are. Um, just a very encouraging statement she made. And I never thought I do a journalist. Like you said, it seems silly. And I, I of course, I'm not going to tell my masculine friends, but I do. Journal. <laughs> I've been doing it for years uh, through counseling and stuff. I, I started doing it with some of my counselors when I was younger. And uh, I do, I try to keep up with that. My wife does journals. We, we have Devin, my son does journals, you know, we, we, we make that a habit. Um, but, but when she said that it was very profound because I started thinking again, just like she was explaining it is, what if I can't repeat what I like about myself ever again? I, I have to acknowledge it. I have to say it, but, but then have to start describing the good of me or, or what's inside of me. I have to start describing these things. I have to get deeper because it can't just be physical. It can't just be, I like my features. I like my clothes. I like, now I have to get into, I like the way I treat people. I like the way, and I can't repeat that one again. So now I've got to get to, uh, so slowly you dig really deep in, your, in yourself. Hmm. It was so encouraging. It I have to think about that because there, there's a little part of me that maybe it's just Henri that's like, now hold on, but don't we, don't we repeat the things that we're really excited about? I don't know. And I have do. a lot of, I have repetitions that I, that I really like. I feel like yes. we're in a, the world is, is designed with repetition. That sun comes up every single morning. I have mm -hmm. to think about that. Yeah. You've given, and, yeah, and, and, and again, it, cha it challenged me because I was like, kind of like you were thinking, I'm like, I'm like, well, you know, how do you not say these things? You're going to say these things, or you're going to think these things. And, and she's like, well, it's deeper than that. You know, you're, you're basically challenging yourself to look into parts that, you know, again, you're, you're having to dig deeper and deeper and deeper into things you love about yourself and things you like about yourself, especially when you're in a part like, like her, her story, she was just a very dark place and the shame and guilt was just consuming her life. And she was just like, that's where, you know, I had to continue to, to, to find ways to love myself. And, and if, if I just every day woke up and said, well, this outlook, outfit looks great. I did my hair. I'm good. And I'm out the door. She goes, I was avoiding 
I was avoiding who I am and, and I was losing my identity in the guilt and the shame and the depression. And, and she's like, she, she made a very good point of it. And like you said, I was kind of challenging it. Like, well, you know, I, like you want to every day do it, you know, you have a routine, you do certain things, but um, it was neat how she just kind of challenged me on thinking deeper and, and taking a closer and deeper look. And I I've been on a self-help journey. Uh, you know, it started about six years ago. And I've really taken time to really focus on changing my, my emotional, my spiritual, really focusing on who I am, who I want to be, the legacy I want to leave behind, not just as my life, but as, as on a daily basis, on a minute to minute basis. What legacy do I have with this conversation on this podcast? What, what uh, legacy do I leave behind today in the moment I'm spending time with my wife or my son? Um, so I've been challenging myself that way for about six years. I've been just trying to make habits that I always had that were bad habits, trying to turn them around into good habits, but then also making them where they're not, it's not something I have to think about and it becomes second nature. It's just something I'm doing. And, and that's been a real hard challenge to break my old cycles and get, get back into a better, being a better person, being a better husband, better father. Um, so I've been working hard on that. In the past two years, I've really focused more on physical side of, of my changes. And so I've tried to get back in the gym, working out and being healthy, eating right, having a better diet. And you know, while, while they all tie together in balance, I think what I found the most that, that, that seems to bring, and I, and I asked this question earlier on, on our Facebook page, is uh, what does success mean to you? And so I'll ask you the question, what does success mean to you and have you achieved it? Success means to me loving the life that I have. And uh, yes, I have. There we go. And, and, and see, I had a lot of people, exact same answer, and I felt the same way is, is it's literally finding a point where you're happy in your life, happy with who you, who you see in the mirror, happy with the people that are in your circle. Um, and then I had a lot of varying answers. You know, obviously I had a few people that were like, nope, absolutely not successful. Uh, mm -hmm. I had a few people that were like, oh yeah, totally. You know, as soon as I get a career where I'm making this much money, X amount of money, you know, I'm good. And I'm like, hey, okay. You know, let me know how that works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you know, and, and I, and I, you know, and I, and I did, I, I would respond with, you know, that many a man has, has kind of stumbled on that path platform of putting which one goes first. And, you know, do you want to have the mental, physical, and spiritual health, or do you want to really just have finances while we all live in the real world and you have to pay bills? Yeah, of course we all want to be financially stable enough to pay our bills or be, be sustained. Um, but as a whole, I think success is exactly like you said, it's reaching a point where, you, you've, you've overcome quite a bit, but you're in a happy, happier state in your life where you can literally look around and it's not grief, it's not turmoil, um, and, and you're content with who you are as well. Yeah, I guess I would say that, that, um, that I think that contentment can happen amidst the grief. Um, yes. Someone asked me recently in an interview, uh, oh, how am I going to say, uh, about bucket lists. I got to remember mm -hmm. how, he's, how he specified it. Okay. So uh, do you have anything incomplete, incomplete on your bucket list. And <laughs> I had to admit that, you know, there are people that make lists and there are people that don't, and I am not a person that makes lists. I'll, right. I'll preface with that. But on principle, I don't have a bucket list because I want to be someone that gets to the end of every single day, looks back at what I did, declares that to be the bucket list, flips the bucket upside down and props my feet up. That's who I want to be. Mm -hmm. I want to get to the end of every day and say, I did what I want to do and I wanted to do what I did. I, I don't like the idea of having um, this 
out their list of things that what if I die today and I haven't seen Spain? Like, do I want to see Spain? Sure. Sounds great. I hear the paella is excellent. Um, but I, I don't want to be living my life that way. I'd like yeah, to be living my box. life. Yeah. yeah I'd, I'd like to be living my life paying attention now and saying, you know what? I love that I managed to feed them yet again. Boom. <laughs> you know? like, I think I want my satisfaction in work to be like that. And that's exactly what I, I, cause I, everybody kind of chimed in in the question and about a third of the way down, I, I chimed in my own. And, and that's exactly one of the statements I made was living is, is basically at the, in a nutshell, I, I summed it up as kind of living in the moment. So my successes aren't, I don't, I don't look at my overall life and then can, can compare that to like, this is success. I look at what today brings and this, I, I look at the smaller successes throughout my life. And, and nowadays it's the day, the moment it's, did I get through this interview? That's a success. Did, did yes, I go it is. and my wife doesn't have my son strung up by his ankle because he's misbehaving. That's a success. <laughs> oh, um, hugely. Yeah. Right. Everyone's so, still breathing. Nobody's, yeah. nobody's died. And, I am and, a winner today. Yeah. That's it. And so, yeah, I kind of look at the success as I guess. And again, I asked that question partially because I really like to see the perspective, different people's perspective. I love seeing other people's opinions. It helps me to, to kind of understand other people. And and for me, it is that that was my answer. My answer genuinely was my successes are multiple daily. They, they could be many, many different successes throughout my day. Um, getting through a meal, getting getting to front to work from work, um, you know, going out in public and not coming home and not sick, you know, uh, in this day and age. Uh, there's just so many things where it's like it's a success. And, and today was successful. And so I, I like to look at things, I guess, in a smaller, more of a, a micro versus a macro and, yeah. and that's, that's kind of where I'm at nowadays is like my successes are daily every day. So when someone says, you know, I had a bad day today, or I had a bad day yesterday, I can say I, I didn't have a bad day yesterday. I, there was many things that were successful yesterday. There was many things I succeeded in yesterday that I don't, I probably can't accomplish today the same. And, and just that, so I put that out there. I try to give a lot of encouragement to our audience. I try to give a lot of encouragement to the people that do follow us. Um, and, and I'm due to my journey and, and who I am, I, I'm a big, I'm huge on helping other people and I'm huge on self-help. Um, I feel like we're in a, in a huge, crazy society in a crazy world that we're, you know, we're living in and there's no amount of kindness that's too much and it doesn't cost anything to, to be kind or to share a moment. Um, I've been encouraging people to hold doors, uh, sm just a smile to someone and you know, you're, you're crossing paths in a store or something, just a smile, a compliment. Uh, if you're going through a drive-through, buy the meal behind you and drive off, you know, buy their, buy their meal. And so I've been encouraging these things um, for several reasons, obviously mental health awareness, obviously things I've gone through where somebody has been encouraging to me or nice to me at a moment in my life and I caught it and I recognized it even in my low points in my life, mm -hmm. I recognized somebody being kind to me and it meant something. And those same people are in my life today. Um, maybe saved my life, to be honest. And, mm -hmm. and that's kind of the message we've been, we've been talking a lot about. And, and I'm glad to have guests like you that are sharing experiences that you're going through. Um, be, being a mother with, with, with mitochondrial children, you're dealing with, with so much. Like you said, you're a mother, you're a nurse, you're, you're doing so many things. So you have all these challenges, but you're sharing with our audience the overcoming part of it. And we never know what someone's going through in passing. You can, you can look someone right in the eye at a convenience store and that person could have just left their house from an abusive spouse. That person yeah. could also be going through a suicidal uh, moment where they're suicidal and just waiting on the moment to take their own life. And if, it, if we all take one moment to share a compliment, a smile, hold the door, that's enough to remove that person from that 
moment of, of grief for just a second, just a split second, which is probably enough, can be enough to save their life for that moment. Yeah, um, it maybe, takes them out of the, the current moment. Yeah, right? and, and it, it could be even the abusive spouse we run into. And, and that moment where kind to of that person could, could be possibly enough to change them from going home and beating the wife or beating the kids or doing something that just is horrific. And so I just encourage those things. And I, I'm so glad I had you on because um, I do feel that, that I know there's people in the audience that will be encouraged by your story. Um, we'll, we'll definitely want to check the book out and be encouraged by the book. But I, I really feel like you hit it on the head as far as like, you're the exact guest that I think the audience during this time that we're discussing about mental health and all the other things going on in the world, you're the guest people need to hear from. Your, your perspective is good. Well, thanks. I enjoyed being here. This is a lot of fun. For sure. And, and in the future, I'd, like to, I'd, I'd love to invite you back um, and we'll discuss a lot of the other things that I've kind of dug up and looked at. And, and you know, we can dig a little deeper in some of the conversation we've had. Yeah, anytime. You give sure. me a holler. I'd love to come back. Where is, just for the audience, where's a place they can get your book and where can they maybe get some more information about maybe you or just kind of following some of the things you look into? Okay. So um, you can find me on my website, uh, which is just awful to spell. I apologize in advance, but it's my name. It's B-A-R-B-A-R-A-B-R-A-E-N-D-L-E-I-N.com. Um, you can find links to the books there, uh, to the book. You can also get it off of Atmosphere Press. They are my publisher. Um, you can listen to me on the Deciding Factor podcast. And if you figured out how to spell my name the first time, you can also find me on Facebook and Instagram, LinkedIn. Awesome. Thank you. And we look forward to having you back. Um, you know, you have a great day. And uh, I always encourage all our guests, as well as the audience, uh, to just make sure we help one person today. And obviously, you've got plenty to help. Um, so, so I would just encourage you to keep doing what you're doing, but always take time for yourself. I really appreciate it. Thanks for talking to me today. You have a great day. You too. Hey guys, Dean with the Two Party Podcast. I just wanted to share uh, one of the platforms we use uh, for our podcast. Uh, it's called Anchor. Uh, it is a free platform. They have creation tools that allow you to record, edit uh, your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Um, Anchor will distribute your podcast on all the major platforms, Spotify, Apple, uh, most, most all the platforms that you want to reach, you can, you can reach through Anchor. So I encourage you guys to go check it out. Um, again, it's free and it's called Anchor. Have a great day. 